We'll be uh, reading from Matthew chapter 22 and then also referencing and looking very briefly at a little bit of 21, so it might be nice just to have your Bibles open. Um, And as a reminder, um, we're getting more and more kids coming, parents, make sure you also, I was told by the children's ministry people, make sure you actually sign in and say that your kid was there and make sure we have your information. Um, My child just was dropped off and apparently just runs straight for the toy pots and pans because that's what he always plays with at our house and loves it down there. And thank you. Um, Make sure you say thank you to your volunteers as well. And if you want to get involved, you heard all those kids. It's, It's such a fun thing to do, so let me know. All right. Matthew 22. Uh, we're in the parables, and uh, this song, thank you, Ellie, um, was perfect for what we're talking about tonight. This, the Father's house will be filled. What are we talking about? Well, a lot of this imagery comes from Matthew 22. Uh, and so I want to read uh, the first 14 verses, and then we'll go ahead and talk about them, like always. Um, so go ahead and, and take a look at your Bibles or up on the screen. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go, into, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so what's going on here? It's kind of a confusing story. Uh, Well, first, let's talk about why Jesus is telling it and to whom he's telling it to. Um, In our passage tonight, Jesus has already entered into Jerusalem. That's the last week of his life, and he's teaching in the temple courts to the, the, the chief priests and the elders. But a crowd has started to gather. And in fact, this is the third in a series of parables that goes back to Matthew 21, if you look. The first one is the parable of the two sons. It's a parable about responding to God and being obedient. And then he, he goes to continue and tells the parable of the wicked talent, penance. And this is a story about like the rejection of God and our pride. This is the one where God leases his vineyard to people and they reject and, and kill his servants and even end up killing his son. And so after this, it actually says at the end of Matthew 21, they knew he was talking about them. They had figured it out. They had figured out that these stories were about them, but, but, but Jesus just kept going. There was a big crowd gathering, and so he kept teaching. And the third parable in this sequence he is teaching is this parable. Jesus sort of keeps piling on. He keeps pressing the teachers of the law with this message. And so to sort of culminate this whole dialogue to the teachers, he teaches this one. Now, Let's look at what it says. 
says a king. I think this is interesting because a lot of times his parables he'll say a certain man goes or a, a, a landowner does this. He, he says this is a king. A king, not just a wealthy man, but a king is in fact doing what? He's throwing a wedding banquet for his son to honor his son. And in verse two it says that no, that no one came. Now we don't know if maybe they forgot. We don't, it's possible maybe they just forgot. Maybe they misplaced their invitation. Right? Maybe they, maybe they got their invitation six months or a year ago and they just forgot to show up. It's possible. So verse three, the king actually sends out his servants to say, hey, come to the banquet. You who have been invited, come and join us. But no one comes. And in fact, we see that after they went around, they actually refused to come. <coughs> Excuse me. That that these invited guests have refused to come to this king's banquet. And so the king, being very gracious and being very inviting to his people, in fact, then goes and sends more servants. And he goes in and sends more servants in verse four. In verse four and, and, and actually, it's like, hey guys, no, really, it's gonna be a great party, you should come, right? My oxen, my fattened cattle have been butchered. Like the good ones, the ones you wanna eat unless you're a vegetarian, in which case I'm sure there was plenty of other things. But he's saying, listen, it's gonna be a great party. You know, it's like when you're trying to get people to come over to your house for your party. I bought all this food, I got all this drink, I, I'm gonna have the barbecue going, you should come, it's gonna be great. What do the people say? But they paid no attention. They paid no attention and they went off. One guy goes off to his field, another goes to his business. But, but, but then, there's this group of people who are really mean. They didn't just reject the invitation, and in fact, it says, Jesus tells this story and says that they seized these servants of the king. They went and seized these servants. They mistreated them, even killed them. Some not only did not go, but they seized and mistreated the king's very servants. What kind of story is this? Like, what is Jesus trying to get across here? All right? And some of you may see some of the parallels. You know, I believe one of the things Jesus is doing here is he is trying to tell the story of what has happened with the Jewish people. He's trying to tell the story of what God has done and what the Jewish people, the teachers and the Pharisees, have responded with. Remember, this is the third one of these parables in a row, and Matthew is making a point putting all of these parables in a row because Matthew was also teaching to a Jewish audience. So Jesus is teaching to the Pharisees and Matthew wrote this gospel down to Jewish people in the first century. And he's showing these people, hey, um, this is you. God is throwing a party and you have rejected him over and over and over again. In fact, he sent out servants. He sent out prophets. He sent out helpers saying, no, come and join God, come and join God, and they have rejected him over and over again, even killing the prophets God sent to them. They rejected the gift of God. And so what does God do? This is sort of a tough verse, right? The king was enraged, it says, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. God got angry, or the, the king, 
in this story gets angry and burned the city. And some say, wait a minute, this can't be God. Actually, there are many contrarian interpretations of some of these parables because they say, this isn't God. God can't do this. God is loving. God is merciful. God wouldn't do this. Well, all it takes is for us to stop and think for a minute and think of the history of Scripture. Right, what happened in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? The cities were so evil and the cities were so beyond reconciliation that God destroyed them. What even happened to the cities or to the city of Jerusalem or, or, or the kingdoms of Judah and Israel? The Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk actually tells us in Habakkuk 1, you can look it up later if you want, God actually says through the pro- to the prophet, you would not believe the thing I am doing even if I told you, for I am raising up the Babylonians to come and to judge you. And so we sometimes think, oh, this can't be God. God would never do something like that. But in fact, when we look at the Old Testament, the the people of Israel were so rebellious and over and over and over again that God, in fact, did use the Assyrians and the Babylonians to judge them. This is hard. And I just want to pause for a minute and just give you a moment to think. Take a moment to think, how do you feel about this? Do we remember that while Jesus is our friend and, and, and God has adopted us and God loves us, that he is also a just God? Do we take time to stop and think that there is indeed consequences for our actions? And we don't have a lot of time, obviously, to do this now, but I would encourage you, if your first response is, no, this can't be God, God would never do that, or if your first response is, really? That's God? I'm not sure. Or if your first response is on the other side, and you're like, yeah, get them, God. Get the evil people. For all of us, it's helpful to stop and think about what do we do with these difficult passages? Who are you talking to about it? What are you looking at in Scripture? Because to reconcile this is sometimes really difficult. And as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and as people who are trying to learn more about God, I think it's important that we have an answer for some of these things. And I just wanted to mention that. Because as the story goes on, it's not the only difficult passage in this text. Now what? What does the king do? These servants have rejected him. These servants have said no thanks. These servants have, um, or these people have killed his servants. And so what does God do? What does the king do? Verses 8, 9, and 10, go invite everyone else. You know what? We got the party ready. We got this whole thing set up. Let's just go get everyone. Let's get everyone we can find. Let's get the poor. Let's get the people on the street corners. And let's bring them into the house. And the parable sort of shifts from a story of the history of Israel to what God is going to do in the future with the Gentiles, what God will do through Christ. That the doors will open up to the king's house and all will be invited in. And so, like it says in the parable, the hall is filled with guests. All these guests have come to honor this king and to honor his son, because after all, remember, that's the purpose of this banquet, is to honor the son of this king. But then, we have this other detail. We have this other detail of this guy, this person. Notice a man there who is not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Yeah, this is sort of tough. This is sort of tough because we read and we see that, wait a minute, he just said for everyone to come. Didn't know there was rules. <laughs> Didn't know there was, there was guidelines. Didn't know there was something. I thought it was just open to everyone. 
You know, we want everyone to have access to God. We want everyone to be invited into the Father's house under his protection to have his forgiveness. And while the Jewish people missed it, while the Jewish people historically missed this invitation, it says that the Gentiles will come flooding in. But yet here, we have this difficult, difficult issue. All these people from around town, all these people from around the country have come. It says the good and the bad. Both those who were good and bad came and were invited and were enjoying this feast in the house. And then we get this, this tough detail. You know, before we look at what I think is happening with this, I just want to point out two things that I think are really important about this parable up to this point. As they open the house to honor the son with this banquet, we see that the door to the kingdom of God is wide open, isn't it? That both the good and the bad are invited to come in. The, the, the people of all backgrounds are welcomed into the house of God. See, this is one of the things that Jesus came to do, right? To give access, or give the presence of God to everyone, right? You remember, it's in Mark chapter 15, but we celebrated at Easter. When Jesus was crucified, there's this giant curtain separating the presence of God and the Holy of Holies from everyone. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn, symbolizing that Jesus' death and then subsequent resurrection would give access to God's presence, right? And this is a little bit of what he's talking about here, is the access, the, the ability to enter into the Father's house is going to open to everyone, the good and the bad. The kingdom of God, the door is wide open, but we need to remember, the second thing we need to remember here is there's still a door. There is still a door. There's still something that is keeping this person who's not wearing wedding garments. Look at the guest with the clothes. The king comes to him and says, wait a minute, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Now, parable aside, if you've ever been underdressed for something, it is terribly embarrassing, right? Um, it is horrible. Um, it's happened many, many times in my life coming from a very informal place. Um, it's really embarrassing, and it's awkward. I remember the first time I moved. So for those who don't know a lot about uh, the U.S., the West Coast is very, very informal, and, and the Midwest can be much more formal, right? And I went to college in a, in a place called Chicago, or right outside of Chicago, and, and there everyone wears really nice clothes to church, okay? I did not know this was a thing. I had only ever gone to church in California. So when I first went to college, I was 18 years old, and I was wearing flip-flops, and I was wearing old pants that had been cut off into shorts, so they're all frayed, and I think they had paint on them from doing something, and then an old T-shirt, and um, my hair was long and unruly, and I just sort of walked into church. And it would be like if someone walked in right now who was on fire. Everyone just stopped and just stared at me. And I remember walking in and just pausing and thinking, I shouldn't be here. I feel very uncomfortable. Maybe this has happened to you. I will say this, there was a very, very, very kind old man who came up and very nicely said, first time to our church, I said, yeah. He said, you can sit with me. Uh, people still stared at me, but he was very kind. Um, listen, this is what I first thought of when I read this parable. Like what, he just wasn't dressed well enough? What's the big deal? He just wasn't wearing wedding clothes? Who cares? It's not that big a deal. I've been underdressed a million times before. It's not the end of the world. But this is different than that. 
See, they brought in all of these people, the good and the bad, and it's not just embarrassing. It wasn't just that he was you know, wearing a swimsuit to the opera or something. This was actually disrespectful. In the ancient world, to do something like this was not just ignorance, but it was active disrespect and dishonor to the person that invited them into their home. And my first thought is, well, well, but still, it's just clothes, who cares? Everyone else seemingly figured it out. Everyone else seemingly knew that you don't do this, right? This is not ignorance. This person was coming into the king's house and actively dishonoring the king and his son by not being properly attired. This was not just being appropriate or inappropriately dressed, but we can assume, based on the story, that everyone else there knew better. Everyone else there knew, you don't do this. You don't come into the king's house, you don't go to this banquet for the son and actively disrespect them by not having this appropriate attire. Everyone else seemed to have figured this out, but yet this one person. And I don't know, I wish we had more details about this guy. Honestly, when I think about this, I think he probably said, you know what? I don't need to do this. This king is just dragging the bottom of the barrel looking for guests. It doesn't matter how I show up. I'm fine the way I am. I'm just going to go. And when the king notices him, the man was speechless. I think he thought, I'm fine. And if we carry out this analogy of what this parable is telling, what does this say about you and me? How many of us, when we come to the king's house to worship or desire to be with God or desire to honor Jesus, go with this attitude, thinking, I'm fine, I don't need to change. But the parable says that no, that person who thinks they don't need to change, who thinks they're fine, will in fact be kicked out. See, the kingdom of heaven, the the, the king's house, the door is wide open for good and for bad, but there's still a door. And it gives this language of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is language of anger, separation. That those who come with dishonor for the son are made enemies of the king. But it's by their own choices. Let me reiterate that. It is by their own choices. Because everyone else made the choice to wear the appropriate wedding clothes in this parable except for this person. And you know what? This again... <clears throat> excuse me, like the, the, the destroying the cities of the murderers. We don't like this language for God because we say, no, 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 God is loving, God is always loving, God would never do this. But when we look at scripture, we see that no, in fact, God does do this. When people come to him with disrespect, when people come to him not seeking to honor him, the prophet Isaiah says to the Israelites, I hate your show and your worship. I hate your empty songs. The way you praise me with your mouth, but oppress the poor. God says through the prophet Isaiah that he hates it. See, the kingdom of heaven has a wide open door for those who come to honor him and the son. And then in that honor of the son, there is tons of freedom. There's a lot of charity. We can express our religion. We can express our belief in God in many different ways. The door to the house of God is wide open, but we need to remember, church, that there is still a door. And that when we come through that door with the proper attitude to to lift up God and to honor the Son, it's a party. It is a party. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories right in a row. Parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. 
And every single time the sheep comes home, the woman finds her lost coin, and the son comes home, there is a party. This is not something to fear. This is something to celebrate this banquet. And so consider, consider tonight, church, what is our posture when we enter into the king's house? What is our posture towards the son? Have we come to honor him? And at first glance, it says, well, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. But let's consider what that actually means. First, it means that we all, as Christians, acknowledge that, that, that Christ has, in fact, died for you and for me and for everyone. And what that means, then, is that none of us can have the attitude of the person without the wedding clothes thinking that we're fine. None of us can have the attitude that says, oh, I have it figured out, I'm good, right? It means that we all realize that we need to be regenerated, reborn, and made new through the power of Christ with the Holy Spirit each and every day. That to go into the king's house wearing the wedding garment, I believe, means that we are aligning ourselves to Christ. That we are realizing we need him to renew us each and every day. And that's hard work, isn't it? That is difficult work. To each and every day, like Colossians says, put to death our old self. <laughs> Last year in Lent, we went through the book of Colossians. Some of you guys might remember that. We need to put off the old and put on the new. Are we willing to do that? To enter into this wedding banquet? Are we willing to be set apart from the world, made holy and sanctified, regenerated in the name of Jesus Christ at the expense of death to our old lives? I mean, look at how, there's four responses. There's four responses how people can respond to the invitation of God. And many people do all of these things. <coughs> First, we can ignore Many people, when they're invited by God, ignore the invitation. They say, no, I don't want to come to that party. That's not for me. Many people just never respond. They never respond to the invitation. Some hear the invitation, and instead of ignoring the invitation of God, choose to mock God and choose to mock his servants. Some of you have been on the other end of that. Many people in this world, when hearing the invitation of Jesus Christ, will say, no thanks, and by the way, you're an idiot for going if you go. Or they oppress those, and they mistreat those, and some even kill the servants of this king. Some still will come to the party, but they will do so with a disrespectful, irreverent attitude in the sight of the king. And Jesus tells us that that person will be tied hand and foot and thrown out into the outer darkness because there's no place for that attitude in the house of the king. And then lastly, there's everyone else. Those who come into the house of the king with honor and respect for the son, seeking to celebrate the son in his wedding feast. This is sort of similar to the parable of the sower from last week, where there's the four different types of soil and all the different types of people we can be. How will we respond to this invitation? How will you respond to the invitation you get from God every single day? Will you join me in my house for my wedding feast? Will you come and adorn yourselves in a wedding, wedding robe and wedding clothes that show you are a Christian 
You know, this is one of the reasons we, we do the things we call sacraments, right? Communion and baptism. We are identifying, just like wedding clothes, we are identifying with the king and honoring his son by showing our affiliation. And many of you in this room do that. Many of you in this room take communion as often as it's, as it's given. Many of you in this room have been baptized and have identified yourself that way. So then my challenge to you is what is your attitude? What is your attitude in the king's house? And that's not just church, by the way. Remember, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like. So as we try to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, what are we doing out there? Are we wearing wedding clothes? Aligning ourselves with this king and his son? Maybe a better question is, is not what are you doing, but what are we doing as a church, right? Let's make this communal. What are we doing to honor the king? What are you and your neighbors doing to honor the king? What are the groups, your home groups, your Bible studies, your friend groups, what are the things we do together as a community that other people would hear about this invitation, that other people would see our wedding clothes and know that we are going to the banquet of the king. Because this is not just individual, it's also communal. And if people are not responding, then we should be telling them, hey, it's gonna be a good party, right? We are servants of this king and if people are not responding to the invitation, we should be going out and telling them, no, it's gonna be a good party. He killed the fattened calf. Again, even if vegetarians, it's fine. We should be going out there, guys, and saying, hey, you should come to this party. You, sh you should come and join this and see what this is really about. Because the Father has invited us all. This is not just for you. This is for you and everyone else you know. And so as we prepare to respond to this invitation, I want to invite our musicians up uh, to go ahead and get settled. And uh, I want to encourage you to think about this. I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to think about what is your posture? What is your posture? Is it one of honor? Is it one of reverence? Are you happy to be at the party? Are you going begrudgingly sometimes? <laughs> the Father has invited us all that we would go and invite others because the door is wide open. But we need to have this posture, we need to have this honor, we need to have this understanding that there's work to be done. And we know this as Christians to be faithful living, to be pursuit of God and what he has for us. You know whatever it is, you know whatever's going on. And so I wanna invite us to pray here for a second. Take a moment of quiet just to respond with prayer. That you would confess whatever posture you have before God and that we would then go into a time of song in response to what God is teaching us and that it would end with joy, that it would end with thanksgiving, that it would be a reminder that we indeed have been invited both the good and the bad, and that the door is wide open. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, we take a moment now to confess our shortcomings, to confess whatever it is you are placing on our heart. Lord, reveal to us through the Spirit now how you would have us respond.
Lord, thank you for your truth. We know that there is nothing we can do to outrun your love and your grace. And that even in our rebellion, you continually chase us down saying, come and join the party. And so God, we repent of our sin and eagerly come back home knowing, Lord, there is a party. Give us grateful hearts. Reveal to us the things we should say, the things we should do, and the things you have done. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.